We would like to thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Join us as we embark on a new series on worship titled, Bless the Lord. David, who would one day be king of Israel, penned these words in Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. These words should inspire us to dive deeper into the scriptures to discover what would cause men like David to live an expressive lifestyle of worship. We all worship. The question is, will we bless the Lord? We believe God will move powerfully as you apply these principles of worship to your everyday life. If you would like more information on the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com. Well, amen. Let's uh, open up God's Word together. You can turn today to two passages, Psalm chapter 34 and also 2 Samuel chapter 6. Psalm 34 and 2 Samuel chapter 6. We just began a new series called Bless the Lord. And it's a series on worship. It's a series on worship. And uh, comes from this one scripture. This, the idea behind this series comes from Psalm 34 verse 1. And it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, by the end of this series, you ought to have Psalm 34, verse 1, completely memorized. Because we're going to say it a lot, you know, that I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, why would we uh, really go after this topic of worship? Why would we go after this topic of worship? And I'm going to make this bold uh, statement from the very beginning. Um, because everything in the church is supposed to be about worship. God's got this grand idea that even our Sunday morning services are for him. They're for him, and they exist for him. And we, as the, the, the church, we're learning how to grow in worship. Now, it's not just singing, as you'll find out. And if you missed last week, I want you to go online, InvernessCalvary.com. You can listen uh, to the message uh, there and subscribe to the podcast. They'll come right to your phone uh, whenever they are updated. But there's some things that we want to be a part of our worship, some markers um, that are connected to Psalm 34, simply from verse 1, that our, our, our um, worship would be committed. It says, I will. That means that everyone here who calls Calvary home, who has made Jesus the Lord of your life, that you have made a conscious decision, I will bless the Lord. It is taking your will and aligning it with God's heart. I will. It's committed and it's continual. That means it's not based on your circumstance. Not whether you're high or low or sick or well or blessed or in need. It is continual. It is not based on circumstances, that our praise of God would continue to flow whether uh, the season that we're in, doesn't matter. 
And that it would also be contagious. We found out in verse 3 of Psalm 34 that there's an invitation that happens. It says, oh, come magnify the Lord with me. There ought to be something about our worship that's a little bit contagious. Do you know what it means to be contagious? You don't really have to talk about being contagious. You just got to kind of get close to someone else. And you can have an influence on them. And I believe if you're a worshiper, you can actually go into atmospheres of, 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 of work and, and in school. And just you coming into the room can change the atmosphere. Why? Because you're a worshiper. And what's on you is contagious. Jesus says it this way. He says, you are the light of the world. So in the same way that light's contagious, your worship ought to be contagious. It just goes into dark places and dispels darkness. So our worship needs to have an, an, an inviting effect on, on people around us. And really, worship is a response to who God is. It's, it's a response. It's a, it comes from a revelation of who God is, that he, he is perfect, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's merciful, and not only who he is, but what he's done. Worship is a response. It's beautiful, that, that uh, word we talked about last week, uh, uh, the word uh, in John chapter 4, uh, where it says, those who worship me will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That word worship is proscunio. It literally means this, to aim your affections. Literally, it means to kiss toward. That's what those two words mean, to kiss toward. We're blowing kisses as, at heaven as we worship. That's what that word means, and it's beautiful. Well, today I want to take us back to it, uh, one of the, the greatest scenes of worship found in the Scriptures. By the way, there's lots of them, and we're going to look at them, and we're going we're to grab some of the principles from these scenes of worship and endeavor to apply them to our lives because it's not enough to know the stories we have to take those principles and apply them to our lives if we're going to see the benefit of knowing the story. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're following the journey of a worshiper named David. Today I'm going to share with you this message called The Journey of a Worshiper. And many of you know, uh, you know the stories of David, and they are many, and they are wondrous. Uh, most of us learn... Uh, uh, really young, I learned with a flannel graph. Anybody learn with a flannel graph? Now, now, now iPads and 70-inch HD screens, okay? 4K, okay? That's how our kids are learning nowadays. It was a flannel graph. David with a sling, he got stuck up there on that board, you know? And then, then Goliath, you know, he was really big, you know? And he got stuck up there. And then, then the big, you know, we, when, when he slew Goliath, it wasn't animated. The teacher just took him off and laid him down. You know, that's, uh, that's how we learned, you know. It was flannel graph. It was awesome. Uh, I'm thankful for, for learning it that way. But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, so we know some of the stories of David, and they're, they're, they're awesome. They're awesome. But there, there's a story that sometimes we could, we could read right over, and it's found uh, not only in 2 Samuel chapter 6, but also First uh, Chronicles chapter 15. And, and so if you want to go back on your own time and read it in both 
that, that, that would be great. There are different details in, in each one. But today I want to talk about the journey of a worshiper. I believe God has us on a journey of worship. God has us on a journey of worship. And if we will, we will set some of these principles in order, it's going to transform the atmosphere here. It's going to transform our community. It's going to transform our homes. And we, we're just going to endeavor to get these things right. I'm so glad that God did them in the life of David so we can learn from them. Let's begin to read this morning from verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible this morning... Uh, you can follow along on the screen with us. It says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, this is an amazing story that's actually wrapped in the middle of two other amazing stories. And we're going we're to kind of touch on those, but this is going to be our, our primary uh, text this moment. This is a triumphant moment in history for David. This is the moment when the desires in his heart to bring God's presence to Jerusalem are finally being realized. There was something in the heart of David that said, Jerusalem is the place where we are going to establish God's presence. It's so amazing, uh, Jerusalem and his fascination with, with Jerusalem, that it, it goes back to that story of, of David and Goliath. Remember, David cuts off his head. He goes into the presence of King Saul, actually holding the head. He develops this wonderful relationship with Jonathan with the head. But then David takes the head of Goliath and puts it on a pole, a stake, and set it right outside of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was this stronghold that nobody could take. But there was something in David's heart that said, listen, there is no enemy that won't fall in the presence of the Lord. And so he comes at an early age and just poof, puts that head there. And those Jebusites up there in Jerusalem they got a message that one day you're going to come down. They didn't believe it. David sent a man up a water shaft, and then they ultimately dispelled those Jebusites. Now, the presence of God was meant for this place, Jerusalem, in David's life. Now, today, it's actually meant for all of us. We're all now the temple of the Holy Spirit, but there was this temple that was in his heart. But before the temple, there was something called a tabernacle, which was really a tent. 
And this is what I want to talk about in this journey of worship. He's just beginning to get his dream to come true. Here's what he's doing. He says, I'm going to bring up the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant basically was uh, a wooden box covered in gold, covered in wood, covered in gold. The top, uh, the top actually had two cherubim on the top, two angels, and their wings stretched out and touched in the middle. The section underneath is called the mercy seat. It's a, it's a place where blood was sprinkled every year for the forgiveness of the whole nation. But the ark of God is the symbol of the presence of God. And the presence of God and the glory of God would rest upon this ark. And for 92 years, it's been out of place. 92 years, it's out of place. And now David is finally bringing it back. Now, David was entering the greatest season of worship, not only in his personal life, but in the whole history of Israel. This is the greatest season of worship. And David was determined to host God's presence in Jerusalem. Now, there are some principles that we can just grab from these ideas that you and I need to be determined to host God's presence in our Jerusalem, in our homes, in this church, in Inverness, that we would host God's presence, that we would get it in our hearts. Now, I believe God is stirring that in us. I believe he is. I believe that, that, that for, for many years the, the church has been gathering around sermons. And sermons are wonderful. I like to preach them. Many years the church has been gathering around even, even uh, great bands. But I, I just want to tell you, I believe in this hour that God is changing the affection of the church back to him. And that he's moving our affection to say, you know what, uh, the preaching, it's got to be, I, I want it to be biblical and doctrinal and, and all of those things. And I want the band to be absolutely on par and skillful. But most of all, I want his presence. I want his presence. And that's what David was saying. And he was just beginning this journey. And if we want to host his presence in our homes and our churches and communities, then there are some worship principles that we've got to employ on our journey as a worshiper. The first one is this. It seems to have been coming up all morning. Joy fuels the journey. Joy fuels the journey. Look, look at what the scripture says here. It says, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, Notice those two words, with gladness. He brought the presence of the Lord up with gladness. Can I just say um, that, um, you know, there's a lot of really serious people in the church. And most of us, man, we're really, really serious a lot of a lot of times. But if you're really sad out in the community or really serious or even, let's just use a better word, melancholy most of the time, not a lot of people want a Jesus like that. 
Did you know that joy is part of this kingdom? That when you begin to experience God, joy comes. Galatians 5 tells us that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Come on. You, you, do you know those? Do you, do you know those? Love what? Joy. Oh, joy. Oh, man. Wait, wait, wait. The, joy shows up? Joy shows up? That means you actually ought to be joyous some of the time? Or most of the time when God's showing up in your life? Listen, David brought up the presence of God to its rightful place with gladness. It was with gladness that the presence of God began to, to come into the right place. Listen, I believe that every morning we ought to, and listen, I understand when we're going through some things, but most of the time we ought to be thinking, you know what, I can't wait to get back to church. It may be hell out there, but it will be heaven in here, and there will be, there will be joy. Listen, there's no problem with depression in heaven. There's no depression problem in heaven. You come into heaven, it's fullness of joy fullness of joy and we need to take a journey of being a worshiper that's filled with joy because it fuels the journey nehemiah rebuilt jerusalem he had an assignment from the lord to rebuild jerusalem and after it was rebuilt and they they begin to read god's word and understand his instructions listen to what happened some of the people begin to weep because they realized how far away they had drifted. They, 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 they were like, no wonder our city was in ruins. No wonder. But listen to what, what the prophet says. When they were weeping, Nehemiah 8.10, he said, Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying, listen, I'm glad that you're getting a revelation about wanting to go deeper and separate some things from your life. But in order to go on this journey of worship, you need the joy of the Lord. That means somewhere along the lines, you've got to be determined that God is the answer. That God is the answer. His presence is the answer. And in His presence, everything you need will be supplied. Now, um, in this story, I told you that it's actually wedged between two other stories. David was not joyous just three months before. Not joyous. Matter of fact, he had gotten together 30,000 of the most Choice Israelites, they are singing, dancing, and playing as they are bringing up the cart from this place called uh, Kirjath Jerem. And, and here, here's, here's this place that's been hosting this ark. They take much of the tent and the ark and they put it on a new cart. And they are singing and dancing and they are just having a grand time as they are bringing the presence closer to Jerusalem. But then they ran across this place called Nacon's Threshing Floor. And the, the oxen that pulled the cart stumbled. And there was this guy, a, probably a 
fairly righteous guy who reached out to steady the ark and in an instant he put his hand on it and God killed him. And, and, and in this moment, can you imagine? You're throwing the biggest party, the largest, the largest concert that that region had ever seen. And one of your main guys dies in the middle of it. So what was David's reaction? The scripture says he was angry. Because he didn't see that coming. He was afraid. It said that David feared. And then he said this. Who am I? that I could bring up the ark of God. He begins to question his very call. This was three months before. I, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of things that are there, and I'm not going to preach that, that whole message there. I, I'm still trying to figure out, since they weren't carrying it properly, how did they get it on the cart? So I don't know how they got it on the cart. By the way, the cart was a compromise. You would always have a new cart to carry the supplies of the tabernacle. But you would never put the presence of God on something that was man-made. It was always meant to be carried on man's shoulders. And, you, and, and basically it has these loops and you put the, you put the staffs through and these, these Levites, they would carry the presence of God. These priests would carry the presence of God. By the way, here's a, a little Jewish uh, kind of a legend, if you will. Um, it was said of those priests that the ark virtually weighed nothing. That when they would pick it up, even though it looked like they were leading the ark, the ark was actually leading them. Which would make sense because his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so the presence of God sitting on something man-made is, is out of order. So that's why Uzzah died. When he reached out, he puts his, puts, puts his hand on it. But David is angry. He's fearful. And he's questioning his call. Anybody ever go through a season of life where anger stops your worship? You may be in here today and anger has stopped your worship. Why? Because there's been something that came along that you didn't see coming. And it may have even led to your embarrassment. And you may be thinking, man, I, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see uh, this business failing. I didn't see my marriage falling apart. I didn't see it. And so well, your worship stopped when you got angry. And then, uh, how about the fear? Fear, he's like, he's just plain afraid of God at this point. He doesn't even know how to, how to react. He is afraid. And then he starts to question whether or not he is worthy to do what God has called him to do. That sounds like a lot of people in the church today. But then they found this guy named Obed-Edom. They found this guy named Obed-Edom, who was of the... Of the, the his, his tribe actually were doorkeepers in the temple. I don't know how they got it off the cart. 
It's like, what do they do? They just take sticks and shove it off? I don't know how they got it to his house and in there. But they did. And David began to hear about what God was doing. And in this three months, he began to hear about how God was blessing. Can I just tell you that if you're angry and afraid and questioning your calling, you'll never carry God's presence into its rightful place. You have to allow yourself to be transformed by him. You're going to have to start seeing him in a way that you're not seeing him in the middle of that moment. You just won't carry the presence that way. He's meant to be carried in joy. Psalm 16, a psalm of David says this, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So it was there after he's hearing about how God is blessing Obed-Edom for three months. He begins to remember all that God has done. He's beginning to remember how God helped him kill the bear and the lion. And, and he helped him kill Goliath. He remembers the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, his anger gives way to joy. His fear gives way to joy. The questioning of his calling gave way to the joy of the Lord. And there was a drawing going on. And it says, you know what? If Obed-Edom can host the presence of God, the ark of God in his house, then I can answer my call. Because God's got something big in store. God's got something big in store for you. And listen, we are called to carry his presence, but we have to carry it in joy. And as we go on this journey of, of, of being a worshiper, not only do we need to carry it in joy, but uh, this, this, this one is just amazing from this passage. Uh, true riches are realized. True riches are realized as you're on the journey of worship. I love this. It says, and so it was that when those who were bearing the ark had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Now, uh, Kareath, uh, Jerem is about 12 and a half uh, miles away from Jerusalem, okay? So the place where it's been for 92 years, 12 and a half miles away, somewhere in between is Obed-Edom's house. So whether it was six miles, two miles, or one mile, every six steps, they stopped and David extravagantly worshiped the Lord. Can I just tell you, as you really begin to worship the Lord, everything else loses its, its value in comparison to his presence. Everything. You're like, I don't care how many, he, David's like, I don't care how many cows it takes. I don't care how many sheep it takes. Every six steps, we're worshiping the Lord. Every six steps, I am going to cut something down that costs me something. I love this. Why would he do this? Because nothing compares to the value of his presence.
And I believe that the church today will experience new levels of God's presence when we gladly carry the presence with all the honor due to God. It says nothing compares to God's presence. You know, truthfully, um, if we could amplify some of our thoughts, aren't you glad we can't yet? Our... uh, our worship times would probably look about, you know, say, you know, it would be like, I worship stew. I hope it doesn't burn. And we're just thinking about lunch. Or, Pastor, come on. Could you hurry up? Real worship starts at 1 p.m. and I want to be ready. Oh, only the guys in here knows what happens at 1 p.m.? That's when all the Eastern games, they kick off, right? Real worship happens then. By the way, it happens again. By the way, there's a 1 p.m. service. There's a 4 p.m. service. There's a Sunday night service. There's a Monday night service. And really, for you revived maniacs, there's a Thursday night service too. That's true. It's amazing all the joy that's in those stadiums as they carry the presence of a pig up and down a green field. Wow. See, true riches are realized in his presence. When you start saying things like, God, I I don't care. If I have your presence, I don't care. When things, when you, when you realize you get into God's presence, you're like, oh, Lord, whatever you need, my finances are not off limits to you. Lord, whatever you need, that is the journey of a worshiper. That is when the Spirit of God actually begins to take the right place. No idols. Gentlemen, sports cannot be an idol in our life. It is not allowed. Ladies, shopping cannot be an idol in your life. (laughs) I'm glad that was a woman that said amen. (laughs) No husband said amen. That was really smart. We have real wisdom in the house this morning. That was awesome. See, I believe that when we begin to value the presence of God, and we begin to return to him the honor that's due, that there'll be new levels of encounters. David, every six steps, think about this. Even if it was one mile, every six steps, they put it down, and they worshiped again, and they worshiped again. And the third thing on this this journey of, of, of a worshiper is very simply this. We have got to choose ministry over majesty. We've got to choose ministry over majesty. I love this. It says 2 Samuel 6.14 says, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. This is actually one of the most profound passages in all of the Bible. You know, in all the Old Testament, every time it mentions dancing, it's actually inferring that it's women. 
This is actually the only one by my accounts. Please prove me wrong if you can. I'd like to know. I really would like to know as a student of God's word. Um, this is the only account of a man dancing in the Old Testament. The only account of, like, this is how it went. And he danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was authentically dancing because of the overflow of his heart. He wasn't doing it to be seen. Actually, in this culture, men would never do this. In our culture, it's not that often that men would do that. It's certainly not in theirs. And there was an authentic overflow of worship in his life where he, he chose he chose to minister before the Lord out of an overflow of his heart. And I, I, I want to ask you to, today, have, have, have you today chosen ministry over majesty? You say, well, what do you mean by uh, over majesty? What, what, do you, what do you mean by, by that? Well, the last half of that verse says that David was wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod is the clothing of a priest that he would wear whenever sacrificing. Considered an undergarment. So it's not quite the truth that David was in his underwear. That's not exactly right. It's more like this. David took off the robes of being a king to expose his, his eternal role of being a priest to God. To minister to the Lord. That's what priests do. Priests minister to the Lord. And so he's wearing a linen ephod. He has stripped himself of all of the majesty that go along with his position and literally laid it down. Someone else is carrying it, it's not him. On this journey, he is one thing. A son of God, a priest unto the Lord. He has said, listen, I am choosing to minister to the Lord. I am not doing this moment as the king, but as a priest. He's saying, I am not thinking about my reputation. I'm not thinking about the pomp and circumstance that normally come along with a king coming into a city. I'm not thinking of any of that. I am wearing this priestly ephod and saying, listen, I'm coming in in humility and I am choosing to minister to the Lord over the majesty connected to my position. David stripped himself of his royal robes to give himself fully, fully to ministering to the Lord. What does this mean for us? We have to stop clinging to our dignity and begin to celebrate his divinity. Not a lot of amens right there. 
We have to let go of the reputation that we're trying to release into the community and say, no, I'm going to lay down all of that reputation because I want to minister to the Lord. I want to give myself fully to it. I have to stop clinging to what I think is my reputation or, you know, you, know, you, 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 you have a business, oh, I'll, I'll lose clients if I really worship the Lord that way. I'll, uh, you know, if I, really, if I really celebrate all that Jesus is doing, I'll, you know, this is going to change the way that people perceive me. Those voices come from somewhere. The devil because he's been trying to keep worship from going to God for eons. We have to stop clinging to our dignity. David, in just moments, would receive persecution from his own wife because of this choice. She saw him dancing and whirling and spinning down there and ministering to the Lord. And you know what? Truthfully, if we really live for God, we're probably going to be persecuted. Not everybody is going to like the fact that you live for Jesus. Especially if you talk about it. Especially if you're sharing the gospel. Especially if you have to answer questions like, you don't really believe that Jesus is the only way. I mean, you're not that narrow-minded, are you? I don't know about narrow-minded, but I'm all for the narrow way. But there's still a narrow way that leads to life, and there's still a broad path that leads to destruction. And many find that way, but few find the narrow way. But that door is still open, and you can walk through that narrow way. And you may receive persecution by going on the journey of becoming a worshiper, but I'm going to tell you it's worth it. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. That voice that came out of Michael that day toward David said, yeah, uh, uh, oh, I bet they really respect you down there. Those, those maidens that you were dancing in front of in your little priestly garment, I bet, I bet they'll really respect you. The voice says you're going to lose respect in front of all the people. That, and, and, and that's what the voice says. Absolutely it's a lie. David said, hey, by the way, I was chosen over you and your family. He's so connected to God at this moment that when that voice comes, he's like, hey, by the way, God chose me, not your dad. And what you think about what they think is absolutely wrong. Because within the kingdom, you'll be held in honor if you're a true worshiper of God. In the kingdom. Outside of the kingdom, people may call you crazy, they may, they, they may call you a hate monger. Coming is the day where when you read the Bible out loud, it will be declared hate speech. That day is coming. So what do we need to do right now? We need to learn to worship right now. Because there may be a voice of opposition coming, but we need to be covered in this priestly ephod and say, listen, I'm not here to make a reputation for myself. I'm here to minister to the Lord, and I'm going to bless the Lord. I, I believe that just as David was both king and priest, so are we. Do you know this? David was king 
And he ministered to the Lord as a priest. Do you know this is exactly what the Lord has said over you? In 1 Peter 2.9, he says, But you are a chosen generation. Listen to these words. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, you are a royal priesthood, but you can actually lay down that royalty in front of people and you pick up that priest and you minister to the Lord you will be royal before the people at times God will have you ministering before kings he will but there is something of the humility of saying God I just worship you I'm going to proclaim the praises of the one who brought me out of darkness and, 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 and saved me and forgave me and transformed me I am that people we are going on a journey of worship. You say, why, why are we doing this right now? And here's what, here, I'm going to give you the prophetic marker of this whole thing. Why we're doing this now. It's because God is restoring this tabernacle right now. David's tabernacle, which is what, David was bringing the ark of the Lord to a tent. A tent that literally stayed on the side of the hill for about 40 years. He hired musicians, 4,000 musicians and thousands of priests and skilled singers. And night and day and day and night, for years, they worshiped around the presence of God. Matter of fact, the only veil of the glory, that bright light that was shining from the ark, was the flesh of priests. The tent could be seen. It was elevated. And there they were night and day, singing and worshiping. You say, why is that so important to know about right now? Because in Acts 15, we find out that this is actually happening in our day. It's a quote of Amos chapter 9. It says, and with these words... Uh, words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. This is God speaking. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. I love this. I'm going to finish this with this thought. You know, Moses had a tabernacle in all its original Moses actually saw a blueprint from heaven and built it out. Solomon got plans from David who got plans for the temple, the temple today. By the way, you talk about a press article. If we built the temple in our modern dollars, I, I read recently that it was like $55 billion to build the temple in modern days with a B. Woo! Talk about upsetting some folk. But God didn't say, I'm going to reestablish uh, Moses' tabernacle in all of its originality or Solomon's temple in all of its splendor. He said, I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. And in Amos chapter 9, he actually says when. He says when he starts to gather his people back to the land. Guess what started happening in 1948? 
Guess what's going on right now? It's going on right now. And you know what the Lord is restoring to the church? Tabernacle of David worship. He's taking the church on this journey of worship where we're saying, God, you are going to be the one that we center our lives around. And we're going to learn how to worship you. We're going to learn how to handle holy things. We're going to make sure that there are no idols in our life. And we're going to say, God, I don't, I, I, I don't want reputation. I want to be able to minister to you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast from our series titled, Bless the Lord. Remember, worship is a response to who God is and what He has done. God sent His only Son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins through His death, burial, and resurrection. Our hope for you is that you accept heaven's invitation to be forgiven of all of your sin and to begin a lifestyle of heartfelt worship by praying to receive Christ as your Savior today. Take time to connect with us and share what God is doing in your life through this ministry. You can connect with us through our website, InvernessCalvary.com, or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this message, and God bless.